First Peter, um, we'll jump in here in a minute. Most of us know First Corinthians 13 now abides faith, hope, and love. These three remain, and the greatest of these is love. And we talk a lot about love and a lot about faith, and I think both of those things, we could probably talk about them more. Um, but hope seems to be the one that's a little bit left out, uh, not often quite as remarked on or focused on. So I wanted to look at that. I was looking at these things myself, and I was trying to actually think. I'm, I'm not sure if I've ever heard a direct sermon on biblical hope. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, hope is one of those things that's so precious, what we have in Christ. If we didn't have it, we can just take it for granted. If we didn't have it, man, how much it would affect our lives. Um, and it's something we can easily take for granted. But just like those other ones, love and faith, hope is something that's also attacked by Satan. God knows how essential those things are for us, as does the enemy. And the enemy doesn't have any true value, so all he can do is counterfeit or infect the things that God does have. So he gives us skewed versions of love, skewed versions of faith, and skewed versions of hope as well. And sometimes it's easy to forget what the real version is until we're put in front of it. So I want to look at what the New Testament has to say about biblical hope. And when you do that, if you compile the verses that the Scripture gives us about hope, I think they fall into four general categories. Our hope is connected, always spoken about in the context of four general things. And in 1 Peter... Peter mentions hope four times, and I think in each of those, one of those categories is brought up and mentioned. So that's how I want to look at it. Let's, beginning, or let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. True biblical hope is set in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. This is the most important and direct one. Uh, If you ask Peter what your hope is, Peter's mind immediately went to the Jesus who had been dead on a cross, now resurrected and living. He saw him. He interacted with him. He touched him. That was his hope. It was concrete for him. Death, though, in this life is the enemy of hopes, and it causes hope for the godless and those who don't have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be deceitful and totally futile. Uh, There's one proverb that goes, there is no disease like hope. And another secular philosopher said, sadly, hope, deceitful as it is, serves at least to lead us to the end of life along an agreeable road. The idea being, outside of the resurrection, any hope you can have in this life can make your life a little bit better, but the problem is that in the end it's deceitful because it has no ending. It fails in the end no matter what. So you have the picture of that sailor who's shipwrecked, hoping for rescue and the rescue never comes. In, in direct real life, we had a person who came back from a veteran, a number of tours from Afghanistan, I believe it was, and then drowns at the Jersey Shore. Or two kids in Philly who just, 
I'm sure had hopes to grow up and lead a normal life, were shot last night, 12 and 19. Or you have you know, the mother that is seeking to have kids, or you have the person who's fighting in some way or another and succumbing in the end. And the picture is hope without a guarantee becomes a faithless friend. And that's for everyone. The difference for the Christian is this. Paul in Acts said when he was put on trial, concerning the hope of the resurrection from the dead, I'm being judged. That's how he saw it. First Thessalonians, Paul would say to them, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In Titus, he says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. And again, we've been justified by his grace that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hebrews, the writer would put it like this, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, those early Christians saw in the resurrection of Jesus Christ the fulfillment of all their hopes. That was where their hope was. A.W. Tozer would say, only a Christian has the right to hope, for only he has the power of God to give substance to his hope. A man who hopes in Christ is as safe as the rainbow-circled throne where sits the God who cannot lie. That's what we're about to read in Revelation. Such a man has a moral right to look upward and quietly wait for the fulfillment of every promise. Let him but see to it that his anticipations conform to the revealed word of God, and he has nothing to fear or doubt in life or in death. His loftiest flights of fancy cannot outsoar the promises of God to those who love him and that hope in his mercy. You see, Satan, through Christian history, has tried to squash this hope literally by death and martyrdom. It hasn't worked. Hebrews 11, we see those believers who were tortured or wandered in the wilderness or were killed by the sword or thrown to beasts, all in the hope of a better resurrection. In fact, as many said, it became hope's seed, the blood of the martyrs, the seed of the church. It's important for us to think about this because death can't quench biblical hope and you and I the believer we have to think of these things the way the Bible puts them forward because if we have an unbiblical hope we're hoping in things that are not secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we'll be disappointed and we'll be disillusioned and we'll be hurt and we'll wonder has God let us down And the problem is that we have a skewed version of that thing, not 
what the Bible actually puts in front of us as our true hope. I love my wife, wonderful wife. I have two little girls, family, friends. But my hope in all of those things is not that I'm going to get to have all the life I want here and nothing bad will ever happen and will be good. It's that what I begin to enjoy here, I will have an eternity of in better measure because of Jesus Christ. That's what my hope is. My actual hope, the hope with a guarantee. This life on earth is a gift. It's not a guarantee. And the problem is we can have this subtle kind of unspoken agreement between us and God that, you know, if I'm a good boy or a good girl and I do the things you want me to, then you're going to take care of me and everybody else in this life exactly the way I kind of think you will. And again, that's where we find discouragement because it doesn't always pan out that way. When our hope, again, Paul says, I don't want you to sorrow because of those who have fallen asleep, that's a believer who has died, as those which have no hope. There's, there's still sorrow in death. But the idea is, one author called it, we have the laughter of things beyond the tears of things. There's a concrete hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is set and it will never move in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why in Second Thessalonians, Paul would say, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. We have a hope that is sure and guaranteed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's biblical hope. The second, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter would say this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here we see biblical hope is set in the return of that resurrected Jesus Christ. Uh, again, we know this. This is the one we're probably most familiar with, but... I think, again, if you look at the scripture, there are two aspects to the return of Jesus Christ. There's the personal one and the public aspect of his kingdom. Uh, both of those are linked, but they are also distinct. In 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And he just says, our hope. He just makes Jesus the person, our hope. Titus 2, and we probably know these verses, 11 through 13, say, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what is stressed here is the personal and joyous anticipation of Jesus Christ coming to us as individuals. It's one thing to think Jesus Christ is coming to the world. It's another thing to think he's coming to me, right? I'm not saying, are you ready for heaven? Everybody's ready for heaven. I'm saying, are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? You personally meeting him personally. 
Now, Peter, we know, had denied Jesus three times, and Jesus died. And then he was resurrected. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, said to Mary, Go tell to the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. Now, Peter had to have a meeting with Jesus face to face, right? Jesus wasn't just back resurrected for the world. He was back resurrected for Peter. And we sometimes forget that what the Bible talks about is Jesus Christ coming for you individually. And that's not supposed to scare us. We're supposed to be excited for that. And I think the danger here is we can put our hope in end times scenarios as opposed to the person Antichrist, speculation about end times things, Bible secrets, all types of theories that people have. And really those things can disappoint us because having end times doctrine does not mean we possess end times hope the way the Bible talks about it. Now we should have correct end times doctrine, but what the Bible seems most concerned with is your hope. And make no mistake, the two aren't the same because the Pharisees had end times doctrine You could ask the Pharisees, where is the Messiah going to be born? And they could say, Bethlehem of Judah. They knew exactly where he was going to be born. They knew the doctrine to the T. They had no love for that baby who was coming into the world, their Messiah. Now, the wise men who didn't have good doctrine, we don't know what they knew about the Messiah, but they were supernaturally following a miraculous star that was moving around. But when they showed up to the baby, they worshipped And what you and I are supposed to have is that personal hope, no matter how much doctrine we know, in the person who is coming. We can't be more invested in uncovering prophetic clues about Christ's return than having him, the living Jesus, being revealed to our hearts individually. Prophetic truth is supposed to build up more than informational certainty or enjoyable speculation. Bible hope is meant for more than timelines, which obviously is proven because when Jesus comes back, whenever that is, most of the church is not going to be alive on the face of the earth. For thousands of years, believers have been dying, needing the hope that the Bible talks about. And the hope that you and I are supposed to have is in the person, and no matter where I am on that timeline, I should be more and more excited about the person who is coming. I should have a joyful anticipation of that. The world is supposed to see and believe that we quite literally believe Jesus is coming for me individually. And it's sad when, because of the other version, just timelines and things, things that people are making up, uh, that biblical personal hope is wounded or discouraged, right? Because we have weird people out there. There's total false doctrine about end times things. There's crackpots that say all types of nutty stuff about Jesus' return. There are great, sincere people who love the Lord. And, you know, we, World War I, World War II, some of the remarkable revivals. There are people who are seeing things that were almost cataclysmic and thinking, man, the Lord must be here and would make certain statements or pick dates. And then when they were wrong, people would be wounded. Oh, are we hoping the right thing? How is it? No, no, no. No matter where he's going to show up, he's going to show up at the right time. And what I'm supposed to, the type of hope I'm supposed to have 
is in Jesus Christ, the person, the blessed person who is coming back to my life. Jesus Christ, our hope. Firstly, that's, that's an important part of our hope. And the second is the public aspect of his return, which is his kingdom. That's why he says, notice Peter's command there in that verse, to fully hope upon that grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the one we know more, or we're more familiar with. He's going to come, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth, and we are supposed to hope in that. But I think the world has no hope in the coming kingdom of Christ. So all their hope is in human government, uh, technology, education, that these things can somehow save the world. They're literally people, really extremely bright people, who when they think about the hope of humanity, the only answer is maybe our technology will develop fast enough that we'll be able to build a colony on Mars or the moon, and when something crazy happens, all of humanity won't die in one place. That sounds kind of crazy, right? But, no, but some of the brightest, literally, literally the brightest people in the world, trying to look at humanity in all honesty, say that is the only hope for humanity. Some type of human government or power that gets us to the place where we won't all kill ourselves at once. That's different than the Christian hope. And our Christian hope is in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is perfect and eternal. But I think our danger is, notice again that word, Peter says we're supposed to fully hope in that. We don't quite go to the idolatry that the world might have, but I can't fully put my hope in Jesus and America, because they're two different things, right? Now, we're supposed to be thankful for our country. We need to pray for our country. We need to take advantage of the freedoms that our country gives us. We're supposed to pray for the peace of our city and our country. God would tell Jeremiah to pray for the peace of Babylon, where he was going to be taken away, because in its peace would be their peace. We should do all those things. But in the end, I think the the point I'm making is not even related to our current election, is that we're never called to hope in the performance of human government. This is what Christians all through the ages and still today have had to live with. All through the ages, Christians have had to have the hope that the Bible gives under horrible, corrupt governments or governments that were directly hostile to the hopes that were presented to Christians. That's still happening today. And Jesus Christ and the disciples died under corrupt governments. Jesus Christ was murdered by a corrupt Jewish government and a corrupt Roman government. Unjustly. But that hope never changed. It never changed. And it's a place that's supposed to be settled for you and I. There was a man named Malcolm Mugridge, who's a journalist, um, unsaved guy, got saved, became very bright, became kind of a Christian apologist type. Um, but he was an Englishman. And speaking to his own country about the state of their nation, he said this, and I think this is wise words here. He said, Nor need we despair to be living at a time when we have lost an empire on which the sun never set and acquired a commonwealth on which it never rises. It is in the breakdown of power that we may discern its true nature. 
And when power seems strong and firm, that we are most liable to be taken in and suppose it can really be used to enhance human freedom and well-being. Forgetful that Jesus is the prophet of the losers, not the victor's camp. And proclaim that the first will be last, and that the weak are strong, and the fools the wise. Let us then as Christians rejoice when we see around us on every hand the decay of institutions and instruments of power, intimations of empires falling to pieces, money in total disarray, dictators and parliamentarians alike nonplussed by the confusion and conflicts which encompass them. For it is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting, when every possibility of help from earthly sources has been sought and is not forthcoming, when every recourse this world offers, moral as well as material, has been explored to no effect, when in the shivering cold the last bundle has been thrown on the fire and in the gathering darkness every glimmer of light has finally flickered out, It is then that Christ's hand reaches out, sure and firm, and that Christ's words bring their inexpressible comfort, that his light shines the brightest, abolishing the darkness forever. So in finding everything only deception and nothingness, the soul is constrained to have recourse in God himself and rest content with him. Wise words, I think, for his people and for us. You see, hope that's broken when the powers of human government fail is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is set in the return and eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's never going to change. It's only going to get better and more real and more stable. The third is this, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 20 and 21. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, notice, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. True biblical hope is set in the promises of glory and reward. Our resurrected Savior, glorified and seated at the right hand of God, secures our own hopes of glory. And the idea here is, notice he doesn't just say that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He says he was raised from the dead and gave him glory. That the glory Jesus has is the same glory that is secure and also promised to us. That he says, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you my glory. I'm going to share with you my riches. I'm going to share with you the reward that I have waiting for you. I'm going to share with you royalty. All our hopes begin with him, but they're crowned in him. Romans 5.2 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And to the Colossians, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of the gospel. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's supposed to be something, true biblical hope, 
brings with it an aspect of heavenly joy. We have the joy of running toward a beautiful goal, as one person put it. We all know what it's like to anticipate something expected and wonderful. And we also know what it's like to, to not anticipate that. Um, if you can remember being a kid, particularly those of you of my generation, you will remember what it was like to be a child and have great expectation for something, say Christmas Day, the last day of school. But there was also moments where there was horrible expectation, like when your parents said, come on, we have to go shopping. <clears throat> and in this day and age, kids put in their earbuds and take their phones and distract themselves in my day and age, we had none of those things. It was just the purgatory of trudging behind your parent when they were like, we're only going to one store. Oh, wait, they didn't have what we need. We're going to another store and another store. And maybe if you were lucky, um, you know, while your parents were marching around Strawbridges or Woolworth or Sears or something or Home Depot, you might have the chance to get like an icy or a soft pretzel along the way. Um, and that could distract you for a couple of minutes. But there was no hope in that scenario. You just knew this is going to be horrible, and there's no way to escape it. I was talking to somebody the other day who said they still have PTSD from the smell of Home Depot. You know, there's a reason Sears is going out of business, and not just because of Amazon, because kids don't want to go back there. If they were smart, they would have handed out free ices and pretzels, and they would have had a second generation of shoppers, but... People like me are like, I'm not going back to that story. The place is horrible. So we all know what it's like to have negative anticipation of something, being drugged into something that is going to be negative. This is positive anticipation of future glory. That's what's being picked out here because it's secured in Christ. And the whole Bible is pressing toward the reality of glory and majesty yet to be revealed in the sons and daughters of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be. All of creation freed in that glory. The Christian life, difficult but worth it. That's the summation. That's what the Bible promises. And there should be a hope of anticipation of that glory. But again, the false hope is, the skewed version is people have, again, kind of an unspoken hope deal with God that I kind of get heaven on the way to heaven. I expect ease, a little bit of payback now in this life, some earthly glory and reward, as long as I also get heavenly glory and reward. Like the prodigal, kind of hoping to get the inheritance before its proper time and waste it on things that are passing. You see, there's bad versions of this. Again, bad health and wealth doctrines, prosperity gospels. But there's a subtle American dream version where I kind of hope that, like, I do get the life that I want and the heaven that I want. And Satan's no fool. He fills people up with earthly hopes, and there's no rooms left for heavenly ones. So many good things here in this world that we literally have no anticipation of the hope that we're actually supposed to have the glory in the next. It's true hope that makes that sacrifice possible. The disciples say what you want about them. They didn't know everything. But they left everything to follow Jesus. That was a huge thing that they did. And they didn't even know that much about Jesus yet. But they had real hope in this one they thought was unique. They left it all to follow him. 
Again, A.W. Tozer would say, faith is confidence in the character of God, and hope is the sweet anticipation of desirable things promised but not yet realized. Hope that's broken by the loss or removal of earthly good or earthly reward is not biblical hope. Because biblical hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory, eternal glory, secured in Jesus Christ that can never be lost. It will only be more greatly realized. The last is this, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, verses 15 through 17, says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason, notice, for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good, them for doing evil. And here Peter picks out something unique. Again, you read through the verses on hope in the scripture, they relate to Jesus's resurrection, Jesus's return, and our heavenly glory that we have secured because of those two things. But the rest of them refer to hope that is not outside of us. All of those things have been secured outside of us. The rest of the scriptures talk about hope that is, as Peter says, notice this, in you. The idea is having the correct biblical hope in Jesus' resurrection and his return and his promised reward build a spiritual character within our lives. One that even people who are against us in the world will recognize. Something unique and supernatural. True biblical hope produces supernatural life, the fruit of a righteous and virtuous character. The church is, is meant to be something supernatural and miraculous in a hostile world. Something supernatural in the middle of something natural. And our conduct, our character, our hopes and desires should all tell, obviously, that we are something different. Like a city set on a hill. I'm not just a Christian because I'm getting out of hell. I'm a Christian, and that also means I'm a light. And I'm salt. And I am Christ-like. It does something in us. Romans 5, 3 through 5 say this. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. At least biblical hope doesn't. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. You notice that? It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit given to all true believers. That's why Romans, again, Paul would say, we're supposed to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. When he talked to the Thessalonians, he said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. He said, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. A helmet covers your whole head except for where your eyes look. 
right? As a helmet, the hope of salvation. And in Hebrews, each time hope is mentioned, it's mentioned in terms of holding fast to the end. He says, the writer of Hebrews, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Let, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And here's the point. A lack of true biblical hope will ultimately be a lack of true Christian character. Because having our hope in the right place produces something in us. That miracle of the divine life can't be so watered down that the world can't notice it. Something's wrong at that point. Would they know that we're Christians unless we told them, or even worse, be surprised if we did? Our Christian life is supposed to be full of joyful anticipation, full assurance, overflows of rejoicing, and faithful patience to the end. So if this character is absent, if we're embittered or broken or shaken or fearful, disillusioned, grumpy, it's very likely that whatever hope we think we possess is not biblical hope. It's hope in man, it's hope in things, it's hope in government, it's hope in something other than what God has given us hope in, and therefore it doesn't produce the right fruit. Maybe we used to have the right hope, and now we don't anymore. And we need Christ to reorient us back to what true biblical hope is which means the Holy Spirit is using true biblical hope to form in you a character of gladness, simplicity of heart, and the joyful, childlike anticipation of running towards a beautiful end. That's what biblical hope is. Now, if you need those things, if you realize, my thoughts have slipped to something else, it's not really where the Lord has told me to put my hope. I encourage you to do this. Turn back to his word. Romans 15, verse 4 says, We through patience and the comfort of scriptures might have hope. If you think hope is something else, read the Bible. See see if I'm telling you the truth. The scriptures will give you the comfort you need. And the second is this beautiful verse, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Ask him if that's what you need. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we abound in this type of hope that does not disappoint. Let's stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the things that are there for us. Lord Jesus, I just think of myself how lost my thoughts would be outside of you. We couldn't think of you correctly or all the truths that are in you correctly outside of your word and your Holy Spirit. But we thank you that you've given us your spirit to guide us into all truth. You've promised us that guide, and I pray you would guide our hearts into that hope of believing through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that 
your spirit would give those things the proper weight they're supposed to have in our lives. We know there's no other way that can happen. So instruct us in this day and age where we live. I pray that we could be examples and be ready for anyone who asks to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.